seven fulfilled prophecies every Christian needs to know. Seven fulfilled prophecies. These are prophecies that have already been fulfilled, but they set the backdrop for the future. And so I hope you will take your little program there and turn it over and make some notes because I think these are things you need to know and I think you want to know. And we begin today by opening our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, please, in your Bible. Seven fulfilled prophecies every Christian needs to know. On October the 7th, which is two weeks ago yesterday, as you are well aware of by now, I'm sure, there was a great attack on Jews throughout the nation of Israel by the terrorist group Hamas. They killed over 1,400 Jews. They took several hundred prisoners, and uh, the Middle East boiled over, and we're still hearing about it. More Jews were killed on that one day than any day since the Holocaust, the Holocaust at the end of World War II. So more Jews were killed on that day than have ever been killed in the history of the modern Jewish nation. Is this biblically significant? Well, I think it is. I don't know how yet, but I know that This could be, and I emphasize the word could, it could be the spark to start the end-time wars that are described in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 9, and other prophetic uh, uh, wars that we read about in the Scripture. In fact, right now, and the news just came out early this morning, as far as I can determine, there are reports right now that there are six Chinese warships on the way to the Middle East. Now, if that doesn't stop the party in America, I don't know what will. Six warships from China uh, now on their way to the Middle East. Now, that's a report. I, of course, I'm not there, <laughs> but I'll tell you, we, we have some momentous things happening. Let's start with some background. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 The Lord said to Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and your father's house, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. I haven't even told you what it is yet, but I want you to demonstrate enough faith. You'll go wherever I ask you to go. If you will do that, here's the condition or the promise. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curseth you, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Notice that is an unconditional promise, unconditional. God made that promise to Abraham based upon Abraham's faith, his willingness to go to a country that the Lord would show him. And the condition is not on how the Jews behave or whether they're going to be good people or whether they're going to be believers or anything like that. It's a promise that God said, if you do what I ask you to do, I will bless you. Notice what else he says. This is fundamental to our understanding of the Bible. That Israel will be, that first of all, God will bless the people who bless Israel. 
The people who bless the Jewish people, God will bless them. People who curse the Jewish people, then they will have the curse of God upon them. And there's another thing in that promise. Israel will be a blessing to all people. And she is because you just hold your Bible in your hand there. And this is a Jewish book. It, we have been blessed wherever the Bible has been. It's changed culture. It's changed people's lives. And this is a Jewish book. Don't ever forget that. This is a Jewish book with all the anti-Semitism and hatred of the Jews spewing around the world this morning. Don't forget, this book you have is a Jewish book. Every author in it was a Jew. And not only did he bless us with a Jewish book, but he blessed us with a Jewish Savior. And the Lord Jesus Christ was a Jew. And so we will never be a part of the anti-Semitism of our day. Go to chapter 17, and in verse 7, God repeats the covenant. I will establish my covenant between you and me and thy seed after you for an everlasting covenant. Circle that word, everlasting. So that covenant has not ended. That covenant did not end because the Jews rejected Christ. That covenant did not end because they were dispersed for 2,000 years. It is an everlasting covenant. You need to understand that's a very important word there, isn't it? And if you will go down a little further, of course, Abraham had two sons. And if you go to verse 21, my covenant will I establish with Isaac, not with Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. Isaac is the father of the Jews. And so there the Lord limited the covenant. It's not to all of Abraham's descendants. It's to the Jewish people, to Israel and his descendants. Chapter 26 in your Bible, if you'll turn there. We're going to turn a lot today, so just lick your lips and get ready. We're going to go here. Lots of scriptures, okay? Genesis 26 and verse 2. The Lord said to Abraham, go down to Egypt and dwell in that land that I'll tell you of and stay there in that land and I will be with you and I will bless you and I will bless your seed and I will give your seed to all these countries and I will perform the oath and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and I will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice. There again, God repeats it again. Go to chapter 35 with me, if you will. Genesis number 35. And we begin reading here in verse number 10. Genesis 35 and 10. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. And now he's talking to his grandson, by the way, the previous promise was to Isaac. Now we come to his grand, Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. And God changed his name. And that's where we get the nation Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave to Abraham, your granddaddy, and Isaac, your, grand, your dad, to thee will I give it. And he's speaking to Israel. And to thy seed, the Jews, after thee will I give the land. 
And so the covenant was repeated to Isaac in chapter 26. The covenant is repeated again in chapter number 35. And it is an everlasting covenant that is still in effect today because we're still in the everlasting part of it, aren't we? Now go to Jeremiah real quickly. Jeremiah chapter 31. And this is so interesting. Verse 35 of Jeremiah 31. Thus saith the Lord who giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night who divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, circle the word ordinances there, that means the laws of nature, the fixed laws of nature. If the laws of nature depart from me. In other words, God says, if I can no longer control the universe, then the seed of Israel will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and it can't, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, and they can't, then God says, if that were to be true, I will cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. In other words, God said, I'd have to completely lose control of the universe physically in order for my covenant to no longer be in effect that I have with with Israel. That's how important it is to God. He said, if you can measure all of the heavens, then that impossibility would happen, then maybe I would break my covenant. But my covenant is forever with the nation of Israel. Why is that true? Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7. We've got this, got the uh, scriptures up here on the screen. You don't have to turn because I didn't want to waste time with waiting on people. I had so much to say to you. But there it is in Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. The Lord did not choose Israel because you were more in number but because he loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. The Lord did not choose you because you were more in number. And, and he goes on and he says here, you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath that he swore unto Abraham, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so over and over and over this covenant, this Abrahamic covenant, we call it, a covenant that the nation of Israel will always be God's children in a very special way, that this covenant will be activated over and over, we have that promise in the, in the Old Testament. Now, let's look at the seven then fulfilled prophecies that confirm that God meant what he said when he gave this background that I've just shared with you. And we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And sign number one is, if you're taking notes with me, this is Israel's return to the Holy Land. Israel's return to the Holy Land, point one. And let's see the scripture for it. It's Isaiah 11, 11 and 12. It will come to pass in that day. The Lord will set his hand again the second time. Oh boy, is that important. You see, Israel is the only nation that ever existed that went out of existence 
came back into existence, went out of existence again, this time for 2,000 years, and then came back into existence again. Twice this cycle has been repeated. And it says, the Lord will come the second time and recover the remnant of his people. He'll gather them together, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. It's not talking about the first captivity now. Remember, there was a dispersion in 579 B.C. when Israel was invaded by Babylon, and they were carried away captives for 70 years. We talk about that a lot in the Old Testament. They returned back to their home country, but they only returned from one country, and that was Babylon. See, so this prophecy is not talking about the first, uh, the first dispersion. So they return back home from Babylon. You read about that in your Bible in Ezra and the book of, of Nehemiah. 650 years go by. They live in the land. And then in 70 AD, the Romans came and they destroyed the city. They sacked Jerusalem. They burned the city. They destroyed the temple. They killed one million Jews. And the rest of the Jews that remained were dispersed across the whole world to all the nations, to the four corners of the earth, as the Scripture here says. And for 2,000 years, there was no Jewish nation. In verse 11, the second time, that's the fulfillment right there. They went back to their land the second time, and they came from all the nations of the earth to form the modern state of Israel today. Verse number 12, he says, gather the dispersed from the four corners of the earth. In 1900, think about this. In what is now the Holy Land, the land of Israel, in 1900, there were only 40,000 Jews living in the Holy Land, total, 40,000. That's about the population of the city of Florence, city limits of Florence. That's all the Jews that were in Israel. By the, then, then there was a movement started called the Zionist movement. And by, night, by the time of World War II, well, then there were 800,000 Jews living, from 40,000 to 800,000 in about a half a century. Today, in modern Israel, there's 9.7 million. Israel has returned to the land Isaiah 11, 11, and 12 has been specifically and definitely fulfilled. Sign number two, Israel became a nation in one day. They became a nation in one day. Let me show you the prophecy. Go to Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 66, and verse number seven. And it says, before she travailed, she brought forth, before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard of such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? In one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? But as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And that was fulfilled. The date was May 14, 1948, within my lifetime. After 2,000 years, I've scattered to all the nations of the earth. Jews had come home. 
about eight or 900,000 of them at that time, and they gathered there together in Israel, and the nation was born. That Jewish star, that David star flag ran up the flagpole. The United Nations recognized them. The British mandate they'd been under ended, and Israel became a nation. The fig tree that Jesus talked about bloomed. The greatest miracle of modern times after 2,000 years, a nation that had not been a nation. The people have been scattered over the whole world. How do you how do you conceive of that without the hand of God? If you scattered Americans all over the world for 2,000 years, you think they would ever come back and recognize themselves as Americans? No. They would be assimilated into the cultures that they've been, uh, that they've been dispersed to. But Israel, 2,000 years, two millennia, and they come back to the land and they reform and they reform for the second time. A few, all future Bible prophecy, by the way now, becomes related to Israel. Israel's God's time clock. Sign number three, Luke chapter 21 in your Bible with me. Luke chapter 21 and verse number 24. Jesus is talking about the last times. And he says, they shall be led away captive into all nations. And that happened in 70 A.D. is what Jesus is talking about there. Then Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles. The word trodden down means trampled. The word trodden down there means they will be governed by non-Jews from the time that they are dispersed there. The city now will be controlled by Palestinians, by Muslims by crusaders at one point in time in a year, a thousand or so. Jerusalem will be trodden down. It will be governed by non-Jews from 70 A.D. until 1948 when they became a nation again. And when the nation was born at first, this is so interesting because I remember this so distinctly. The nation of Israel came back together in 1948. I don't remember that. I was a little little child. But in 1967, they fought what was called the Six-Day War, and many of you remember that, the Six-Day War. And it was the same thing. It was a war against uh, Arabic nations that had attacked them. They didn't attack anybody. And uh, prior to that, before that war, the nation had been divided, the city of Jerusalem had been divided into two. Jerusalem East Jerusalem belonged to the Jews, and West Jerusalem belonged to the Palestinians. In the Six-Day War, something happened. The Jews took over the whole city of Jerusalem. And I never will forget it because I saw it on television. Such celebration. I mean, Jewish soldiers were dancing right there at the Wailing Wall and in the area of the temple, the old Temple Mount and so on. I mean, they just went crazy with celebration. It was unbelievable because, you see, they had not been able to go to the Temple Mount where the temple was. They had not been able to go to the Wailing Wall, which is the foundation of the old temple. They had been excluded from all that. That was enemy territory. And now they conquered it. And for the first time since 
Jesus made that prediction. After that six-day war, Israel took control of the entire city, the entire city of Jerusalem, a direct fulfillment of Luke 21 and 24. The times of the Gentiles, the times when the Gentiles ruled over the city of Jerusalem, it ended in June of 1967. And since then, Jews, Israel has controlled the city of Jerusalem. Sign number four, the great migration from the north. The great migration from the north. We'll go to Jeremiah chapter number 16 for this one. Jeremiah chapter 16. And the great migration from the north, our fourth fulfilled prophecy. This is fulfilled. And in Jeremiah 16 and verse 14, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, it shall no more be said. There's going to come a time when people will not say this, that the Lord liveth that brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Why will they not say that anymore? They will say, the Lord liveth that brought the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he hath driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. And so he said, they're going to come from the land of the north. Now, Israel didn't have um, near the population, didn't have near the landmass uh, back in 1948. That's, that's expanded as there have been wars fought and, and so on. And it didn't have the population. There were only about 5 million Jews living in Israel uh, 20 years ago or so. Thir- well, a little longer than that, maybe 40 years ago. But in 1989, the Iron Curtain fell, as you know, and the Soviet Union was broken up, and people now began to have freedom. And from all over Russia, Jews began to emigrate down to Israel. And if you go to Israel today, you would hear Russian spoken almost as much as you would hear Hebrew or English because millions of people left Russia. They were Russian Jews. Russia had the most Jews of any nation in the world except America up until this time. And they had persecuted them. You've read the Russian pogroms, they call them, the persecution of the Jews. The Jews were discriminated against horribly in Russia. They were hated, mistreated in every way imaginable. You even still see some of those uh, ads on television trying to raise money for Jewish people, and it shows them living up in Russia, Northern Europe, and so on. They were terribly persecuted by the Soviets. They hated them. And when the Iron Curtain came down, 1.7 million Jews migrated from Russia into Israel. 1.7 million, think of that. That's half the population almost of South Carolina. That's a huge number of people. And they came from there. Then they came from other places as well. Do you know that there are are African-American Jews? There are Jews that are black. Their skin tone is black. They came out of Ethiopia. And I don't know if you remember, but they had to get out. There was a civil war going on there. And... Uh, they were transporting them down in 747s full of people. Instead of a plane that would fly 400, 500 people, they'd put six and 700 people 
Some of them stood all the way from Africa just to be able to get a plane ticket to get back to Israel. And there they are today. All of those millions of people, almost 10 million people living in the land, and 2 million of those people came from one land. Now, the land of the north, how do I know that's Russia? You take your map and find Israel on it, and just take your finger and go straight north, and after you go through several other countries, the land of the north, you'll find yourself right in the middle of downtown Moscow, in fact. It's just almost a, it's, it's a straight line there, a vertical line. The great migration from the north, that prophecy was fulfilled in 1989. <clears throat> Sign number five is the unsealing of Daniel's prophecy. The unsealing of Daniel's prophecy. Go with me to the book of Daniel in your Bible. If you're turning in your Bible, and some of you just looking on the screen, but I'm giving you a little more from the Bible usually than what's up there. And in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, at that time shall Michael, the archangel, stand up, the great prince who standeth for the children of thy people, that be Israel, and there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that same time and at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone shall be found written in the book. And we'll skip down now to verse number 4. But thou, Daniel shut up the words that he had given to him in those three verses preceding. Daniel, shut up the words of your book and seal the book. How long? Even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Sign number five, the unsealing of Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's book was sealed. That meant we couldn't understand it. And for centuries, up until the last maybe 100 years, Bible students of Bible prophecy would study the book of Daniel, and so much of it they would say it's just inscrutable. We just, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't seem to compare with other scriptures. We, we, we just don't know what it means. It was sealed. I believe that God kept that knowledge away from us until we reached a certain point in history, a point where we could understand it in the light of other circumstances. And now, I believe that prophecy began to be fulfilled beginning about the year 2000 and right up until today from 2000 to, say, 2023 the unsealing of Daniel's book, which means you're not going to be, when, when God said, seal the book, what he meant was you're not going to be able to understand this until you get to the end time. See, look in your Bible there. Seal it even to the time of the end. Seal the book until the circumstances will become clear what it means. And the angel gave two signs then of when it would be unsealed. It's going to be unsealed when people will run to and fro across the earth. First sign, then, is it's going to be unsealed when, when people can travel to and fro across the earth. And think about it. Until about the year, oh, 1880 or 1890, people could walk or you could ride a horse. You could get on a ship, but if you were on land, it was walk or run or ride a horse. And then they invented the train. 
and we had railroads, and then they invented the car, and we had automobiles, and then we invented the plane, and we could go through the air, and every time it's faster and faster and faster. And then we went from the plane to the jet plane, and now we could go five or 600 miles an hour. And then we went from the jet plane to the spacecraft where we can circle the whole earth in an hour or less. Travel, people going to and fro. You know that today we don't think anything about calling, buying a ticket and getting on an airplane and going somewhere. You know people didn't use airplanes widely until about the 1960s. It was a big deal. In my youth, I would remember people talking about getting on a plane and flying. Oh, man, I'd like to fly someday. How in the world do you do that? And, you know, then it became very common. And you go to the airport today and you can't get near it. Millions of people are in the air at the same time across the world, to and fro, to and fro across the earth. Travel, you can travel now across the world. Today, if you've got enough money, you can get on a spacecraft. They sent one up yesterday. The sign of travel. When people begin to travel widely, the book will be unsealed. Daniel. Second sign, increasing knowledge. Science. I looked at industrytab.com, and here's what they said. This is fascinating. Up until 1900, knowledge doubled every 100 years. It took 100 years to double the accumulated knowledge of mankind. Of course, some areas would go fast and others go slower, and then knowledge was growing in different segments like this. But, but overall accumulated knowledge took about 100 years to double up until 1900. Beginning about World War II, the pace of science and knowledge began to increase, and knowledge doubled every 25 years. Today, they say knowledge is doubling about every 13 months. But beginning in 2023, and they say this will be the year that will go down in history as when the beginning of AI, artificial intelligence. And when artificial intelligence is fully implemented, knowledge will increase or will double. They're saying now every two months. Fulfillment of God's Word. Can you imagine an explosion of knowledge like that? They're calling artificial intelligence the most significant invention in history. Some writers are getting carried away, no doubt, and hyping it, but they say it's more important than the discovery of the wheel or fire or stuff like that. What does it mean? What is artificial? You're hearing it on the news now pretty regularly, and it's increasing. What does artificial intelligence mean? What's the significance of that? Here's the significance. It means we are not the most intelligent people on the planet now. That's what it means. It means that men are not as intelligent as this thing that men have invented. AI, they tell me, can think 100,000 times faster than a human. I don't know who calculated that, but that's being circulated. Tucker Carlson in, interviewed Elon Musk, who's one of the inventors, one of the pioneers of AI. 
Tucker Carlson said to Elon Musk, what about AI? Musk answered, mass miscommunication. Mass miscommunication from the words of the inventor. You remember a few months ago, he said, we need to stop the development of this right now and kind of find out where we are, that we're playing with something here that could be the destruction of humankind. We've got, we got to slow down on this. But nobody slowed down. The, begin, the increase in knowledge, the explosion of information reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 2.11 where it talks about lying wonders and deception will be the tools of the Antichrist. If the Antichrist were to gain control of AI, can't contemplate how horrible that would be. Sign number six, fulfilled prophecy. The apostasy of Western Christianity is now becoming full-blown. The apostasy of Western Christianity is full-blown. Second Thessalonians 2 and 3, let no man deceive you by any means, That day, referring to the coming of Christ, will not come until there's a falling away first. A falling away first. And then the man of sin, the Antichrist himself, will be revealed the son of perdition. I would date the time of this being fulfilled from 2000 on until about today, 2023. What is apostasy? An apostate or apostasy is when somebody has claimed to be a Christian and now they reject the faith. When they say, as I hear sometimes, I tried Christianity, but it didn't work for me. That's an apostate. A person who once professed to believe and then repudiates what they formerly believe. Uh, Several instances recently of rather well-known preachers who said they had decided they were not Christians, they were atheists, or they were something else. These were men that pastored huge churches, had big ministries, and several of them said, I don't believe that anymore. The stuff that I preached for all those years, I no longer believe it. The full-blown apostasy of Western Christianity. Until 1960, 50% of American adults were members of one of the seven mainline Protestant denominations, the United Methodist, Presbyterian Church USA, Evangelical Lutheran, Episcopal Church, American Baptist, United Church of Christ, and the Reformed Church of America. Seven mainline denominations, we call them. 50% of American adults attended those churches, were members of those churches, over 50%. You know what it is today? 10 to 13%. There's been like 40% decline in adult Americans who go to those seven denominations of churches. Those churches are dying. Recently, the United Methodist Church lost 6,000 churches so far because the denomination adopted a pro LGBTQ woke philosophy. 
And not only do these churches now deny the fundamentals of the faith, but they've embraced this whole new woke thing, this LGBTQ, the whole idea of gender ideology and all this stuff that's been embraced by a large segment of, quote, professing Christianity. But we have our problems in the evangelical side. We're not mainline. We're not in the main line. But evangelicals, who are the other big alternative in Christianity, in, in American Christianity, you have three major, major groups. You have Roman Catholicism, you have mainline denominations, and you have evangelicals. We're evangelicals in a loose sense. Now church attendance among evangelicals, church attendance is the most single most reliable measure of faith, is down 30% in evangelical churches across the nation. Nathan Jones, who is a writer with the Lion and Lamb Ministry, Prophecy Ministry, said, quote, the church has become so seeker-sensitive that we've filled our churches with unbelievers And now we're putting unbelievers into the pulpit. These new church leaders are rarely even saved. They have no fruits of the Spirit in their life. They have no signs in their lives that show that they're even saved. They teach their own flavor of universalism with its belief that everybody will get to heaven and all paths lead to God, end of quote. Christianity today has been the magazine of evangelical Christianity was started by Billy Graham and and, uh, Carl Henry. Recently, a writer was investigating them and decided that they would would reveal or they wanted to do an investigation of where the editor and assistant editors and leadership of that magazine that had become so identified with uh, evangelical Christianity where did they, they give their money politically? And they found out that almost 100% of those people Demo- uh, gave their money to the Democrat Party to, to leftist causes. And now that magazine is embracing the whole woke thing. So you call that apostasy, where somebody once stood for the faith, and now they have moved away from it. They deny it either overtly or in their actions. And lastly, in number seven, sign seven, the development of advanced technology. The development of advanced technology. Do you know that's a prophetic sign? Let me show you how. A little bit indirect, but it surely is so. Revelation 11, verse seven. I'm gonna read this one. This is talking about the two witnesses who are going to come in the tribulation period. Now, that's future, of course. And they're going to preach the gospel on the streets of Jerusalem. We know it's the Jerusalem because it says it's the city where Christ was crucified in verses 7 and 8 along there. And then they're going to be killed by the Antichrist. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three three days and a half. These two people sent by God, I believe it's probably Elijah and Moses, or it's Elijah and someone else. We're not sure exactly their identification except probably Elijah. And the reason I say that is because Elijah was carried to heaven in a chariot and never died. 
And the Bible says it's appointed unto all men once to die. And so we have reason to think it would be him. These two men are going to come back. God's going to send them. They're going to preach to the world during the tribulation period. And then they're going to be martyred. They're going to be killed. And all the people and kindreds and tongues and nations are going to see their dead bodies. That could not have been possible until what, 50 50 years ago? Maybe 50 years ago. Today, everybody has a cell phone. Do you know there are more cell phones in operation now than there is population of people on the earth? Because a lot of people have two and three and four. Everybody has a cell phone. I went to the Philippines a few years ago. I couldn't believe it. Seven and eight-year-old kids walking around the street that had cell phones. And now I see it sometimes in our own school here. Everybody's got a phone. And everybody can see the news. And their bodies will lay on the streets of Jerusalem for three days. And the whole world will look and witness it. That would not have been true. That could not be possible until 50 years ago, 75 years ago, whatever. Fulfill prophecy demands advanced technology. That's one illustration. There are 20 I could give you. So you say, preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, if you missed it, that Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. First in the rapture for his saints, and then in the revelation or return with his saints that will have been with him in heaven. Jesus Christ is coming back. It'll be the biggest event in history. I won't be here. But boy, I tell you what, I sure would like to read the paper and watch the news that day. Wouldn't you? Wow, what is the world going to say when millions of Christians are gone from this planet, raptured away? And how are they going to how are they going to justify that? How are they going to explain that? Jesus is coming. And here's what he said. Look up here. Listen to me. Everybody, don't miss it. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 24. Be ready, for in such an hour as you think not. That's Monday for me. Preachers can't think on Monday. In such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man cometh. When nobody is talking about it and nobody's expecting him, he's going to come. Are you ready? Are you ready? Our heads are bowed. If you're not ready, there's nothing I can say to you more powerful than what I have said to you this morning. You don't want to be left behind. Our Lord is coming. Seven fulfill signs. Now, the reason I use fulfill signs is there's a lot of prophecies not fulfilled yet. But I wanted you to see that when God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. When he gave that land to Abraham as an everlasting covenant, 
That land still belongs to Abraham's descendants, no matter what they say on the news. And when Jesus Christ said, I will come again, that's exactly what he meant. And he said, when you see all of these things, I've given you seven. There's hundreds. When you see all of these things begin to come to pass, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. That's why I believe we can't be too far from the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't set a date, but I, 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 I don't know the day, but I know the season. And I do believe with all my heart that we're in the season. I so want you to know Christ. I don't want anybody to have ever sat here in this church one service and perish because they rejected Jesus. I preach to you with all my heart because what I'm talking to you about, folks, these are not temporal, temporal things. These are things that deal with your soul for eternity. Hear me. Take it seriously. Confirm what I've said by your Bible. You don't have to believe me, but you've got to believe God. And if you're not sure your salvation this morning, if I were you, I'd run down this aisle. I wouldn't wait one second. I'd run not knowing the day when he's going to return or when he's going to call for my soul.